Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki here again with you this week with John Mitchell. This week, we're going to be previewing the Big 12 as we start to dive into the Power 5 conferences in our 2019 season previews. This week, we're going to be breaking it down a little bit differently than you'll see in the next four weeks because the Big 12 no longer has divisions, as you know every college football fan is well aware of. So we're going to be looking at the odds. We figured the fairest way to break these teams up into a couple of different segments was looking at the odds and just leaving it up to the bookmakers to decide how we split these teams up. So for our first segment, we're going to be looking at the bottom half of the Big 12 as seen by Vegas. For our second segment, we'll be looking at the top half of the league and, you know, the race for the title or the top two spots in the championship game. And then in the final segment, we'll be making our final picks and letting you know who we think is going to come out with the the league crown this year, um, whether that winner has a shot at the college football playoff, and then looking at the top players of the season. So... Before we dive in, John, how are you doing this week? I'm good, man. Fired up to get going. Uh, in honor of the Big 12's all offense, no defense, we're all gas, no breaks this week. So we're going to fly through this thing. Excellent. So, yeah, we're looking at the bottom half of the league. And um, the teams that come up there in terms of the odds makers are the two Kansas schools. Probably no surprise to anybody. And then you also have Baylor, you have West Virginia, and then um, you also have Texas Tech. You know, you have a couple of teams that are in transition years with new coaches, um, all four of those teams at the bottom. And then you sort of have a cusp team that could possibly be a sleeper in Baylor is the way I see it. Um, Let's start with Kansas. I think they're a really fun story to look at because obviously the big story there is Les Miles is coming into Lawrence. Um, How do you think uh, this is going to go for Miles uh, both this year and moving forward, John? Um, You know, it's kind of fascinating. That was one of the more... I guess, discussed hirings of the offseason. A lot of people were really down on it, and I was kind of confused by it, Zach. Like, a lot of people were, you know, disappointed that Kansas would have go the retreat route. But to me, I mean, what are you expecting at Kansas? Like, you know, they've gone every which way you can go with coaching hires over the last decade or so since the man genius is no longer roaming the sidelines. Um They've just exhausted all avenues. And, I mean, to have the opportunity to bring in a coach with championship pedigree like Les Miles has, it's kind of hard to pass that up. I think it's crazy to think that that's not the right move, you know. And what's the worst that can happen? They're going to be the worst team in the FBS over the next few years? They already were, right? Yeah. They've already been the laughing stock of the FBS. I mean, you're talking about I can't. And I think David Beatty was doing okay-ish with what he had to work with. I think there were some tangible signs of progress last year. I mean, Kansas won a road game, albeit at Central Michigan. They beat an FBS opponent in Rutgers by soundly in non-conference and then got a win over TCU. So they were far from the worst team in the FBS last season. 
Uh, but still, there's obviously a lot still left to be desired. Um, so I, there's going to be growing pains, obviously. Anyone expecting Miles' uh, Mad Hatter magic to kind of take effect in year one, it's going to be sorely mistaken because there's a lot of holes on that roster. The cupboards were very barren when he got there. Uh, they do have one of the more exciting players in the country who it was just announced is only going to miss one game now is Puka Williams, who mm-hmm. you know was an 1,100-yard runner last year. So getting him back in the fold is huge for Miles because he's got kind of that that bell cow running back that he's always really enjoyed having over his best teams at LSU always had kind of a grinded out running game. So having someone they can um, stick the ball in his belly 20 to 30 times a game is pretty huge. Uh, It's also going to be interesting at quarterback. Thomas McVitie seems to be the leading candidate to take the job, a Juco transfer, a kid that actually Les Miles recruited out of high school so there's a lot of familiarity there uh so it'll be interesting to see what he does it it still would be a massive upset if kansas didn't finish last in the big 12 and that's ultimately where i expect them to end up but man it's going to be fun seeing Les miles coaching college football again oh yeah i completely agree i i i think college football is a little bit richer when you have that sort of um eccentric genius on the sideline uh because for as much as he gets you know pilloried as much as he gets caricatured as much as he gets you know turned into the butt of the joke he's a damn good coach first and foremost and i i think it's important to remember he also does have experience in the big 12 you know he was at oklahoma state for four years before he was at lsu so it's not like he's completely unfamiliar with the territory also. He's really right. coming into a place where he knows what needs to be done to at least get Kansas to some semblance of respectability. And he's well aware of, you know, in the pecking order of that league, what respectability looks like for a team like Kansas. It's getting to bowl games more often than not for a school like that. Because their excitement comes with the basketball program a couple of months later. You know, that's really what that school's always aiming for. And so if you can get a guy like Les Miles, you know, generating some excitement, generating a little bit of buzz, getting in, you know, some some fresh, more exciting talent. As you mentioned with Mark Mangino, there there is the ability to to make some waves there at Kansas. The Jayhawks have not been completely irrelevant in their entire history. So as much as we talk about it being a basketball school, Kansas does have a pedigree when you go further back into their history. And it, it it's kind of one of those, you know, schools that could be a sleeping giant if thing, you know, the infrastructure was built up and, resources were poured into that program and a guy like Les Miles is really the first step of doing something like that if you're actually interested in competing so yeah right I I think this year just like you know with you know his job at uh, Oklahoma State the first year he came in there in Stillwater he was four and seven he didn't get to a bowl game I think Kansas can sneak you know three or four wins this year but I I think most of those are going to come out of conference and they'll play, you know, big 12 games tighter than we've seen in the past. But you're looking at a team that's, you know, 
outside the top 100 in returning offensive production, is also looking at a really green defense. And coming in with a brand new coaching staff, you know, all the ingredients are there for this to be a year zero for that team. That's that's really the way I see it for Kansas this year. I think that's a great point. I love the term year zero. We've discussed that in, uh, on the podcast before because that's definitely what this is for Miles. But, I mean, I like what you said about Kansas potentially, you know, having the potential to be a lot better. I mean, it's only been 11 years ago we're talking about Kansas was in the Orange Bowl, in the 2008 yeah. Orange Bowl, yeah. winning the Orange Bowl with that. So it hasn't been that long. It feels like it's been a 30 years at this point since Kansas was relevant, but it really hasn't been that long. They're not that far from it. Exactly. I'm fascinated, though, Zach, because Miles kind of always cut his teeth on gambling and really pushing the bar at LSU and the, the wild fourth down calls and everything, and that's exciting to watch exciting to see i'm fascinated to see especially with really nothing to lose in year one at kansas all the stuff that he comes up with and just throws out there because i mean you might as well go for it yeah what's gonna stick against the wall this year i think is what's really there to watch for with the jayhawks yeah i'm thinking three or four wins but i wouldn't be surprised if they nip someone they're not supposed to somewhere during the regular season if they pull out a, a random upset over a team like Oklahoma or somebody like that that comes to Lawrence and just unexpectedly falls. Yeah, definitely. I I think we're both in agreement. The Jayhawks are probably that that the floor for the league. And, you know, right with them, I have to say this year is probably Kansas State. As much as, you know, Bill Snyder left this program in a decent place, you know, they have a decent number of returning players on that roster for Chris Kleeman coming in from North Dakota State. But again, this is another one of those schools that is coming in with a a brand new coaching staff. And whenever you see a transition like that, there's, there's always just the kind of question marks, especially at a place like Manhattan, where you've had a guy who was so entrenched there. And even when, you know, Snyder stepped down the first time, immediately it felt like the program did a 180 and just kind of crumbled back down to irrelevance. And as soon as Snyder gets back, the program comes back to health. And so really, you know, this hire was critical because you're not getting him to come out of retirement a second time. You know, he's just going to celebrate with his family in the stadium that's named after them. So uh, it it really does come down to how this team responds to Kleeman this year. And I think, again, it's just like Kansas, where they're a team that's always been, you know, sound on the football field. They've always had sound fundamentals and that, you know, was one of Snyder's big things. And I think that's something that's going to continue on with the new staff just having seen the way they operated at North Dakota State uh, for four out of five FB or FCS championships, you don't you don't develop that well-oiled machine um, without having some chops. And it, it must also be remembered that Kleeman inherited that from Craig Bull. It wasn't like that was a right. program that he had to build up from scratch. And that's exactly what you have here with Kansas State as well. Is yes, they're a program that's going to have dips and lulls, but 
just like Kansas, they're one of those programs that could be a sleeping power if the right guy is there. And if Kleeman is that guy, it, it could be really exciting within the next three to five years. This year, though, they're probably not getting to a bowl game. You know, I I think they're the biggest wild card in the Big 12 this year, Kansas State. I don't think there's a lot known with them. Um you know, obviously Bill Snyder's a legendary coach, but they were they were pretty bad last year. I mean, they were five and seven, but they didn't look like your typical Kansas State team. They got blown out several times, which has kind of always been something that really rarely happened to Snyder coach teams. They were always competitive, always did what they could to shorten games and control the clock, and rarely do you see them on the um, wrong end of a lopsided blowout loss. But that happened several times last year, um, and you know they didn't make a bowl game last year, but. I think they have the talent and with Kleeman there and the coaching that they could easily rock it up to Big 12 standings. I don't think they're going to be competitive in terms of potentially being one of the two teams to play for the Big 12 championship or anything this year. But I do actually have Kansas State ultimately in a bowl game this year. I do think they're good enough to get there. I really like the hire for Kleeman. It was kind of one of those off-the-radar kind of hires, bringing a guy who's been so immensely successful at the FCS level. And a lot of people criticize it. He was actually their second choice because initially they offered the job to Seth Luttrell, who kind of pulled out. But I think ultimately they're going to be better off in the long run bringing in him for all the success he had. I think he's a perfect fit, too, for what Kansas State ultimately wants to be. You know, the Snyder coach teams are always really stout defensively, always pounded the rock. And that's the same kind of DNA Clemens programs always had at North North Dakota State. They were the blue-collar types, the rugged guys. And, you know, he knows how to find the hidden gems in terms of recruiting. Kansas State's never going to bring in top five recruiting classes, but he knows how to go out there and find guys in recruiting who get passed over for one reason or another but end up being really good players, whether that's, you know, a Carson Wentz, for instance, who ended up at North Dakota State when he probably should have been, you know, more highly recruited, obviously end up being the number two overall pick and kind of lighten the NFL on fire before recent injuries. Uh, you know, they got some talent to replace. Losing Alex Barnes was a really big loss. That's a 1,300-yard rusher, very versatile yeah. player as a receiver as well out of the backfield. Uh, they brought in, though, um, James Gilbert, a grad transfer from Ball State, I think, was a really big addition, a guy with a lot of experience who can kind of tote the rock. And I think Skylar Thompson's got potential to be a really good quarterback, especially in Kleeman's system. I think he's a really good fit. So I actually look for the Wildcats to surprise some this year and, you know, rock it up a little bit and finish in the top half of the Big 12. I think the most interesting game I see on their schedule is is that Mississippi State game that uh, happens on the 14th there in week three of the season. Um, Really how that game goes, I think, is going to, you know, give us a good uh, feel on the pulse of where they are coming into the Big 12 season. Because if, if, if they go into that game and, you know, they take down the Bulldogs there in Starkville, Obviously, that would probably have them at 3-0 coming in and in great shape to, you know, uh, make it to bull eligibility. You know, six wins is always going to get you in as a Power 5 team. So, um, even with, you know, and, you know, their other two out-of-conference games are Nickel State and Bowling Green, both of which should be really no problem for them. Uh, 
and and so really it kind of you know pivots on how that Mississippi State game goes. I think they can, you know, really hit that game and hit the ground running because they have Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU uh, to, to open Big 12 play. And then and then you get into Oklahoma and, you know, all of those teams later in the season. But I think you have a couple of prime opportunities. Um, if they beat Mississippi State, that game against Oklahoma State starts to look a lot more like a toss-up. That's a good point, too, because, you know, they played Mississippi State and out of conference last year at home and lost by three touchdowns. So it's a really good kind of litmus test. Okay, what are we this year? Can we be more competitive? Even if they go to Starkville and they're really competitive and even if they're on the you know, losing end of a close game, I think that helps build confidence for the rest of the season. Oh, yeah, they lose by single digits. That even sets them up as a team to look at as um, much improved. I, I still think getting to bowl eligibility is going to be tough. But then again, you know, you're really sort of butting up against a couple of other teams that are also dealing with coaching changes. You know, I, I think that's the other part of this bottom half of the Big 12 is you're looking at teams, you know, you know, Kansas is dealing with it just like Kansas State is. And you've also got Texas Tech dealing with a change. And, um, you know, that's the team that gets me next because I think Matt Wells is a, a great coach. I really do. I loved him during his time at Utah State taking over for Gary Anderson there um, during Anderson's first time there in Logan. Um, as we talked about in the Group of Five podcast, he's now back in Logan taking over for the guy that took over for him. So that's neither here nor there. I'm not going to yammer about the group of five anymore. Really, it comes down to how is Matt Wells going to do in Lubbock? And I know, you know, you have a bit of a family connection with Texas Tech and, you know, a a little bit of an affinity for that program just from among the Big 12 teams. So I I, I just, you know, really want to throw that out. Do you think Wells is a good fit for a program that's really been hooked in the past on air raid guys uh it's funny i i watch a lot more texas tech games than i really care to admit to be honest with you for as mediocre as they've been recently but i think it was an interesting hire i i spent obviously you know zach my brother is a texas tech graduate i kind of talked him into the hire because everybody likes to point out with matt wells that kind of three-year swoon at utah state where after he won pretty big his first couple years they really struggled for a few years and then he got the program back uh, near the top of the Mountain West, which I actually think shows that he knows how to build a program, right? Obviously, there's going to be some down years, especially at a program like Utah State. Uh, you're going to have some good years. You're going to have years where you're rebuilding. And that's the same thing at a program like Texas Tech. It's not gonna, Texas Tech's never going to be a perennial Big 12 contender. Uh, they just don't have the same kind of resources that programs like Texas and Oklahoma have to be able to do that. That doesn't mean they can't compete every so often in the Big 12. Obviously, we saw with Mike Leach, they had the ability to finish among the upper echelon teams in the Big 12. But even with Leach, there were some rebuilding years. This looks like a rebuilding year for Texas Tech. They yeah. were they were really disappointing last year, I got to say. You're talking about a team that started the year 5-2, and two, looked like a – honestly looked like a contender for the Big 12's number two seed behind Oklahoma – um, for the Big 12 title, and then proceeded to lose out, lose their last five games, and not even get bowl eligibility. Uh, but if you look at those losses, too, you're talking about competitive losses at Iowa State, 
one-score losses against Oklahoma and Texas, so it's not like they were that far off. I think the team kind of gave up the last couple of games against Kansas State and Baylor, and that was ultimately Cliff Kingsbury's demise. But it's interesting because with Wells, I don't think he'll have as long of a leash as Kingsbury had because he doesn't have, you know, beloved alumnus next to his name. You know, Kingsbury was Lubbock's favorite son for many years as a quarterback there, and they just they loved him from day one when he became the coach, obviously, because all the memories of, of him running – uh, the offense and running the show there in Lubbock. So he won't have as long of a leash, but I really think he needs a year zero, if for no other reason than to fix the defense, because the defense has just been awful. I mean, there's no other real adjective to describe it. They've been awful, terrible, whatever you want to say. They finished 108th in total defense last year, was at, which is actually an upgrade over what they had finished the last couple of years, as sad as that is. So there needs to be a complete fundamental change defensively for the Red Raiders next year. They've got some good pieces. Uh, I really like a couple of the guys on their defensive line. Broderick Washington and Eli Howard both have some real talent. Yeah. But especially in the secondary, they you can't have a secondary that's just getting constantly abused and burned, especially in a league like the Big 12 that's so pass-happy. I think Texas Tech, I really like Alan Bowman. I think a lot hinges on if he can stay healthy. He had a lot of injury problems last year. A lot of scary injury problems with a collapsed lung kind of lingering. Um, but he was fantastic when he played and as a true freshman. So if he can adapt to what's you know, going to be a new system yeah. there, um, if he can adapt, I think Tech can score some points and be competitive. But I ultimately, I think they'll be better than Kansas. But I, I've got Tech ninth in the Big 12 this year. So, yeah, you've got Kansas State basically above them. I've got Kansas State in the top half. Oh wow! So yeah, you're you're disagreeing with the odds makers completely. Very much. Got it. Yeah, we'll touch on that more when we get get into our final picks in our final segment. Um, but I think you make some really great points about uh, about Texas Tech, and I think um, you know as much as we talked about a year zero uh, for less miles, I think Texas Tech has. Um, bigger expectations for themselves than a Kansas does, obviously. Um, and that said, it, it is something of a rebuilding year, but they also do have a lot more in the cupboard than the Jayhawks did. So in terms of what what's going to happen there in Lubbock, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where if after year two things are, continu- are, are continuing to torpedo with the program, and they're either, you know, holding steady or falling off from where they were at the end of the Kingsbury tenure, he's not going to have much time. You know, he had the alumni status there in Logan with Utah State and pretty much loved there at a group of five school. And, you know, in the Power Five, it ramps up, and especially with no real ties to the school he's coming into previously. Yeah, it, it it does become a bit tighter for him. And yeah, I think this is another team, in my personal opinion, that could even be fighting Kansas for that last spot. Um, the Kansas schools. I don't think I I don't have as much of a confidence in Kansas State as you do, obviously, but I I I think they're right there in sort of that bottom three mix, or 
honestly, even bottom four, because I think it's the same situation at West Virginia for all these schools that have new coaches coming in. Um, there are just so many question marks with, you know, the fit of the talent or, um, you know, just, you know, just what's happening at that program at this moment in time. And Morgantown, it's a really interesting situation. You have a guy like Dana Holgerson who voluntarily opts to leave um, the program to go take the job at an American Athletic Conference school. And yes, you can you can say that Houston is not your your everyday group of five program, but at the same time, they haven't even been able to get to the American Athletic Conference championship game in the past couple years. So, you know, he's fighting an uphill battle against teams like Memphis in that division. Uh now rather than fighting an uphill battle for one of two spots in a a power five championship game. You know, I don't know that it's going to be, he, I don't know that he necessarily chose the right option, but things, things move on in West Virginia and now it's Neil Brown's program to run. I think it was a great hire for them. I, I really think he's been sort of nipping at having a Power 5 opportunity for the past couple years after just how incredibly he has built up Troy. Uh, that's a program that you would you would never expect. You know, Sunbelt or whatever, a program like Troy is not supposed to be, you know, running regular double-digit win seasons. No group of five program is really supposed to be built that way, but they're one that, that was taking on schools like LSU and taking them on in Death Valley nonetheless. So I I, I, I think he is a great fit there. Um I think the the way that things are situated with West Virginia and the way that that team fits into the rest of the conference, he's going to have some unique challenges that he didn't have being right in the heart of the Sunbelt Conference. He He's diving in, in into a, a school that has to travel far more than any of its competitors. So that just adds a new wrinkle to the equation for a guy coming in and so, yeah, I think it's going to take a bit of time. I, I think there's just so much talent that's out the door there as well, uh, along with Holgerson. I think that's part of it is Holgerson sort of saw the writing on the door and knew he didn't have the talent to, to make his job really look good this year. And so a guy coming in and getting, as we've mentioned, his year zero um, really is probably the best thing possible for for Brown and for West Virginia itself. You know, they're going to be another team that's fighting uphill battles to get anywhere near bowl eligibility. And I think really out of the teams we're talking about in this segment, you're going to see two, maybe three of them hit that six-win mark. And West Virginia is another team that's fighting fighting to get there. Um, you know, the more we've talked about it, uh, the more you're starting to convince me about Kansas State because we're talking about the rest of these teams. And, I, I, you know, I'm starting to look at it and seeing six or seven teams go bowling out of the Big 12 is not out of the question at, at all for a 10-team 10, 10 conference, a 10-team Power 5 conference. 
And so, yeah, I, I, I think um, just all of the different variables that Brown's going to have to juggle in that first year and the learning curve there for the coaching staff and for a very green program as well. That roster is going to be very young this year. And, you know, you add that all up, and it, it, it's probably going to be uh, a losing season for the Mountaineers. Yeah, I ultimately think Neil Brown was the the right hire for them. I think he's a great choice. He probably should have gotten an opportunity at the Power 5 level before now. So I'm happy to see him get this opportunity. But I think Dana Holgerson saw the writing on the wall, and that's why he's at Houston. I think he knew that things were bleak past this season in terms of what they had left. I think last year was really West Virginia's opportunity to compete for a Big 12 title. Uh, you know, with Will Greer coming back, with all the offensive firepower they had, a lot of people were picking, including myself, picking West Virginia to at least play for the Big 12 title. Um, you know, but them's the breaks in terms of college football. Margins are razor thin. They lost a really close game uh, to Oklahoma State a week before having to play Oklahoma. They lost a super close game to Oklahoma, and that kind of prevented them from getting into the Big 12 championship game. But you're talking about no more Will Greer. You're talking about no more David Sills. Yep. You're talking about um, even on defense, David Long was the Big 12's defensive player of the year last year. Exactly. He's gone as well. A lot, a lot of Gary Jennings and other receivers. So they're really young across the board. And who knows what's going to happen at quarterback. You know, Austin Kendall transferring from Oklahoma. Is he the guy? I mean, obviously Lincoln Riley didn't think so because no. the last several years he's been perusing the grad transfer market and bringing in graduate transfer quarterbacks. So is Austin Kendall the guy at West Virginia? Is he going to be able to get it done? In the very least, you've got to figure they're going to slip back some because he's not going to be as good as Will Greer was last season, almost certainly. So, And then you're talking about a really challenging out-of-conference schedule. they got to play oh, yeah. at Missouri. They play North Carolina State. And then, I mean, they draw James Madison out of the FCS. We talked about in our FCS preview, James Madison's got a loaded team. So that's not a gimme game either, no. you know. So no, that's one uh, that could I, easily get stolen. Uh, yeah, right. I, I I think the Mountaineers are going to be on upset alert just right out of the gate, and that's that's a really sort of precarious situation to to be in for a young team coming into their their year first year under a new coaching staff. That's just a lot to handle. So. Yeah, I, I would be really uh, surprised to see the Mountaineers get anywhere close to six wins. I think they'll be right on the cusp, honestly. Obviously, they got the challenging out-of-conference schedule, and then five of their nine Big 12 games are on the road. Yeah. So that makes it even tougher to kind of get that six-win mark. I think we'll really know if they can win two out of those three non-conference games, they're probably going to be well-positioned to make a run in a bowl. But if you talk about 1-2 and two or even 0-3, oh then, yeah, it's really bad. And, you know, the James Madison season opener, that could be a really quick game that makes fans sour on Neil Brown pretty early on. That would be foolish, but we've seen it before plenty of times. But I think Neil Brown as well is a smart enough coach because he's been that giant slayer at Troy. He knows what this sort of game means for a team like James Madison, especially a really, yeah, that's a good, point. Especially a really good small school like James Madison. He knows exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to pull off the App State story. 
even if West Virginia is going to be nowhere near a, a top five preseason team like like Michigan was 12 years ago. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's one of those games that sets up with one of the preeminent teams, you know, a team that's right there with North Dakota State among the top F, FCS teams. And who knows what's going to happen. It could be really dangerous for them. So yeah, I think we're in agreement on West Virginia. It, it you know, it's one of those year, year one, year zero situations for Neil Brown. And I think he's the way the schedule lines up for him coming in, in the first year as a head coach, the program, he needs to win the right games. You know, he he needs to make sure that they're competitive in, against teams that have comparable talent levels and comparable, you know, uh, experience. So that's really what it's going to come down to. And full eligibility, I'd be surprised if they get there. Um, but I think they're at least going to be competitive. Neil Brown will have the team on alert for every one of those games, including that opener. Bowl eligibility would be huge for them, but yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you. It's going to be really tough sledding to get there. It'd be a massive accomplishment in year one for him. As much as I don't think West Virginia fans will view it as a comp, as an accomplishment, it really would be. Indeed. So those are the four teams in the Big 12 this year that all have uh, first-year head coaches at the school. So the other six teams in the league, you know, they've got they've got coaches there in their in their spot. Baylor, obviously, uh, their guy hasn't been there that long, but the, you know they have a decent team returning back with Charlie Brewer, you know, uh, as one of the top quarterbacks in the Big Twelve, and they're a team I think we're they could possibly sneak up on a couple of teams. I don't know that they're necessarily going to compete for a spot in the title game, but I think they're going to steal at least one game that they they probably have no business stealing this year, at least one of them. Right. Yeah, I I mean, Matt Rule made a huge jump in year two, right, in Waco. I mean, one ele- they went 1-11, I think, in year one, and then jumped to seven wins last year. So, obviously, it's easy to see that that program's going in the right direction. Uh, they were really good offensively last year with Charlie Brewer at quarterback, uh, losing J- the kind of Swiss Army knife like Jalen Hurd at receiver hurts, but there's also a lot of talent still at receiver. you got a guy like Denzel Mims who had 790 yards and eight touchdowns last year and kind of take the, the bulk of the pressure off of Brewer. Um, you know, so they got some interesting pieces. I, I could see Baylor making a jump and being competitive with the kind of second tier of big 12 teams that are going to be competing for the big 12 title game. I think most, and not to get too far ahead, but I think most people are probably in agreement that Oklahoma is the big 12 favorite. Uh, so that's not too much of a spoiler. And then there's a jumble of teams, at least in my opinion, who are going to be fighting for that number two spot. Um, spoiler alert. Sorry about that. Texas fans, but, um, I really do think there's a decent drop off and there's a lot of teams who are going to be fighting. I think it's a really fascinating race. And I think Baylor is one of those teams that really has the ability to compete uh, for that slot, if things kind of go correctly for them, obviously, you know, like I said earlier, the margins are razor thin, but they get Oklahoma and Texas coming to Waco in Big 12 play, so that's a significant boost for them. Yeah, um, 
They've got a pretty easy non-conference slate, Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, and Rice. That should be a pretty easy 3-0. and And I think a pretty big game earlier in the season, Zach, September 28th, they host Iowa State, who's mm-hmm. another team that's going to be really fighting for that uh, spot in the Big 12 championship. So I think that could be a really significant early season game that could ultimately swing the the number two spot, in my opinion. So I like Baylor. I like what Matt Rule's doing there. He took on a really tough job with everything that had happened there and really getting them uh, back to respectability. Again, Baylor's another team that's we're not that far removed from being a legitimate contender. So the potential is certainly there for them to get there again. I don't know that this is the year, but, you know, another step in the right direction, particularly with a guy like Brewer, who is a, you know, a junior still, you know, could lead to them taking an even bigger step in 2020. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that non-conference schedule, and it's uh, thin to say the least. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you have, uh, you know, basically Baylor doesn't have to leave the state of Texas until October is, is how that all plays out. And, you know, that works out really well for them especially if they can they can win that game against the Cyclones. Um, you know, their next game is at Kansas State October 5th, and then they're right back home against Texas Tech. Um, so, yeah, basically, that other than that Iowa State game, they really do have the potential to hit the first half of the season, you know, that midway point of the season at 5-1 and one at the very least. If not 6-0, and oh, can they you know, knock off a good Iowa State team. Um, so, yeah, I think they're a team that's definitely right there once again among that sort of scrap of teams that's going to be, if not necessarily, they'll be in the thick of the race at least through October. We'll see what happens when they hit November, and that really comes down to, like you said, the Iowa State game, the Oklahoma State game um, on the road on October 19th. And then um, TCU on the ninth, because really they get Oklahoma and Texas there toward the end of the season. And um, the real question is, is will they still be in contention by that point with those other, you know, teams that are in the swirl, you know, already off their schedule? Yeah. And if not, you got to think they've got a really big opportunity there in November to be a spoiler in the Big 12 title race, even if they're not necessarily one of the teams competing for one of those slots, but getting Oklahoma and Texas at home in November, they really could be uh, a significant spoiler opportunity for the Bears. Certainly. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season in Waco one way or another, and I I think they're definitely getting to the postseason. Um, So, yeah, on that note, I think that pretty much wraps up our look at the bottom half of the conference. We're going to take a quick break here, everybody, and when we come back, we'll be looking at the Big 12's top half of the table, so stay tuned. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. I'm Zach McGalkey with you here once again this week with John Mitchell. We're talking about the Big 12 this week and uh, previewing all of the teams in the title race and all of the fun that's happening in that conference. Last segment, we looked at the bottom half of the conference as it lines up with the odds makers in in Vegas so we don't feed you our biases too quickly. And now we're going to be looking at who the the Vegas Sharps think are going to be the the top five teams in the league. And so we're going to 
work our way up from the bottom there with this uh, group of teams. And so looking at the odds, everybody, the first team we're going to look at in this segment is Oklahoma State. So the Cowboys come into this season with actually uh, the elder statesman in terms of Big 12 coaches. Uh, Mike Gundy has been there uh, ever since Les Miles left the Big 12. He's the guy who took over for Miles in Stillwater. And, uh, you know, it's another interesting season for for the Pokes. Um, They always seem to be one of those teams that are um, right there in that second tier of of Big 12 teams that have a shot in the race and you really just want to see how the chips are going to fall. Um, I think the big thing for them right this year is that we, we don't know who's going to be the quarterback yet and whoever it is, isn't necessarily going to have a ton of experience. So that's um, definitely something that hasn't been familiar for, for Cowboys fans in recent years, but I, I, I still think this team is, um, it makes sense that they're put among that, that group of teams that are hovering there around 18 and one in, in the, the odds. And, uh, you know, I've seen them as low as 14 and one in some overseas books and it, it makes sense. They're a, t- you know, they're a good team. They're always well coached. They've got a lot of stability there on the staff, and I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, it can they be more consistent this year? I think's the big question. They were Oklahoma State was seven and six last year, but they were maybe the most Jekyll and Hyde team in the country. They really took a very odd path to a seven and six record, getting blown out by both Texas Tech and Kansas State, who were both among the worst teams in the conference last year, then beating Texas, beating West Virginia, being super competitive and losing to Oklahoma on the road by a single point. So it was really hard to get a gauge on them at any point last year. And it really, their trajectory made very little sense. They have a ton of talent coming back. Uh, Tylen Wallace, one of the best receivers in the country. He'll make life easier on whichever quarterback. And I think that's the fascinating storyline surrounding uh, Oklahoma State this year is who takes the snaps? Are they going to go the safe route with Drew Brown, the Hawaii transfer, or do they kind of, or does Gundy kind of throw his chips in the middle and say, "All right, let's go with the young kid, the redshirt freshman Spencer Sanders, who was a, you know, star in high school and seems to be the future of Gundy's offense." And Stillwater, does he go roll the dice with him this year? That's probably the safe bet, uh, at least if you were going to make a pick. I would yeah. put money on Sanders being the guy to to take the job this year. And there's obviously likely to be some growing pains. As much as freshman quarterbacks have performed so well, there's going to be some growing pains um, for the majority of freshman quarterbacks. Not everyone's going to be a Trevor Lawrence or somebody like that coming straight out. So there's going to be growing pains for him. Uh but I could see Oklahoma State going a number of different ways. The, the, inconsistency last, the inconsistency last year really makes me hesitant to say that they're going to be a contender in the Big 12 because they probably were one of the three or four best teams in the Big 12 last year. But you're still talking about 7-6, and 3-6 and six in conference. So I don't want to get too gung-ho on them really making a big jump up the standings. Uh, but they certainly have the potential. Like I said, I mean – they beat Boise State too last year, uh, pretty handily at home. So 
this is a team that has a ton of talent, but can they find that consistency this year? And can they, you know, put it together for 12 weeks and not just have the, the Jekyll and Hyde pop-ups where every now and then they're capable of, you know, knocking off a team like Texas who finished runner up in the conference, or is, or are we going to get more of the team that gets soundly beaten by Texas tech at home? Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the first uh, couple of weeks of the season, they do, they're another one of those teams that gets a really light non-conference schedule. They open the year on the road in Corvallis uh, against Oregon state. Um, and then, uh, you know, they have McNeese state at home, uh, you know, inviting the FCS program for the paycheck game. And then they go to Tulsa for a road game against the Golden Hurricane. And then they're in Big 12 play, and that starts off right away with Texas. So, as you mentioned, if they get that win against Texas and start the year 4-0, and they could, you know, very well, you know, if they've locked in their consistency by then and, and they really get off on a good foot in Big 12 play, um, the potential is there. They do have a, a good roster around whichever quarterback steps in. And I think... Uh, Speaking of young quarterbacks, it certainly does help getting to play against Big 12 defenses. So he'll at least have that going for him if it indeed is Sanders stepping in. Very true. Very good point. (laughs) So, yeah, um, you know, Oklahoma State is definitely a team that's right there in the mix. And, um, you know, there are obviously question marks, and the same can be said about TCU, which is another team that's there at 18-1, and one, um, which actually is also where Baylor was sitting, but just looking at where the shift is in other odds, you know, um, with other books, we've seen TCU and Oklahoma State sort of get lower odds at some places than the 18-1 and one on the one we were going from, so... You know, Patterson, Gary Patterson always has, I'm not going to say that he always has TCU, like, in the mix, because we've obviously seen TCU tail off at times. They've had to have rebuilding years um, as much as they were just sort of a well-oiled machine at the non-AQ level uh, back in the BCS era. Um, at the Big 12 level, they are sort of more of a peer, and they will have those sort of ups and downs. I think this is a year where they really can be competitive. And just like we were talking about with Baylor, they're a team that as recently as five years ago was right there in the college football playoff discussion for that inaugural year. So, you know, they have the potential. I, I, I'm i loath to say that they're going to, you know, actually get to the Big 12 title game. I think they're, um, yeah, I I, I think there are just enough question marks there and there are enough other good teams in the mix that it's a conference that's going to beat up on itself a bit. TCU's probably going to lose a game that they shouldn't. They're probably going to beat one of the teams that they absolutely should or they're, they're not going to beat one of the teams that they absolutely should, and they're going to beat, knock off a team that they absolutely shouldn't. Um, that's just sort of one of those things that we've seen in recent years from Gary Patterson. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, they get to play SMU for the Iron Skillet. They play at Purdue, which is really their, you know, quote-unquote toughest road game this year. Or uh, in non-conference play, excuse me, uh, to be specific. Obviously, they do have a couple tough ones in conference play. But, you know, I I think TCU is a team that's going to go bowling. I don't think they're going to get to the title game. I don't know what you think about them, John. I, man, it's interesting because Gary Patterson's always been able to answer the bell after subpar seasons. Usually see a TCU team that finishes around 500 like they finished last year, really bounce back really quickly and jump up the standings. And I don't know. Um, if they're going to be able to do that this year or not, but they've got they've got the potential. That's for sure. They've they've got a lot of talent on the roster um, as well. Uh, it all really is going to come down to what they're able to get out of their quarterback play. Um, last year it was kind of a disaster. Yeah. Whether it was Sean Robinson, whether it was Michael Collins, whether it was Grayson Mulestein or whoever, it was kind of back and forth. Anybody who watched the Cheese It Bowl is still probably pretty scarred from having watched that football game last oh, year. Oh, my goodness. Uh, one of the worst bowl games in the history of of college football, in my opinion. Just a turnover fest. So what where do they go from here at quarterback? You know, obviously they've got um, Alex Delton, who transferred in from Kansas State, who's probably the favorite. He's got the experience. Um but then you've got a really interesting case in Justin Rogers, who was a really highly touted recruit, but has really struggled to stay healthy. Yeah. Um, had that really that bad foot injury that's really cost him. He made a brief appearance um, in the bowl game. Kind of looked pretty good for a guy who was really operating on one foot. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to really um, fault that. But they've they've got talent. Jalen Rieger is one of the better receivers in the. Um, conference. And the one thing you can always count on with the Gary Patterson team is they're not going to be embarrassed defensively. They are always going to put together a a team, even in a conference full of high powered offenses, they're going to put together a team that is really good defensively. And I think that's going to be the case. They were the best defensive team in the big 12 last year. They actually had a top 25 unit on that side of the ball. So if he can figure out the offensive issues, if Sonny Cumbie, Curtis Looper, and those guys on the offensive staff, if they can figure things out, offensively and bring them closer to a top even top 40 to 50 overall unit they don't have to be a top 10 unit like some of the other big 12 teams but with the way they're able to play defense if they can be in the top 40 or 50 defensively then tcu could absolutely compete for that uh for a spot in the big 12 championship game see i it's funny you mentioned the offense and obviously that's been really anemic for them and the the defense has always been TCU's calling card. But I'm really curious to see how they're going to do this year, having lost so much talent. More than half of their production from last year is gone. They're ranked 111th in the country in returning defensive production. And obviously in the Big 12, if you can play offense, you can at least keep yourself in a game. And a team like TCU that at least has the defensive pedigree has the opportunity to to at least keep themselves somewhere in a, you know, maybe a top 50 mix. But I think there will be a little bit of drop off with that unit. And it really is dependent on how much drop off 
is there with that group, whether or not they can actually keep themselves in the mix for the, the championship game. That's fair. I mean, they definitely lost a lot of defensive talent. LJ Collier, Ben yeah. Benagu, Ty Summers, a lot of talented guys gone from that defense. But I put my faith in Patterson to figure it out on that side of the ball and for their younger guys to grow pretty quickly and to still be one of the best, if not still the very best defense in the conference. I, I, again, I, I, I agree with you. I love Patterson. I, I think he's a coach that knows what he's doing. Obviously he's been doing it long enough and he knows how to, how to turn things around with a group. Speaking of turning around the last, you know, when we wrote the tailgater column together 10 years ago, um, Iowa State was nowhere near where they are as a program today. They were the laughing stock of college football. So sitting here with you today and talking about Iowa State as a Big 12 contender feels a little bit like we've gone into a, a time shift or a vortex or something. <laughs> so, But that said, Iowa State's been really good the past couple of years. Matt Campbell is... I don't know what he's done. We've obviously seen several coaches who have success at other places come through Ames and just completely torpedo. Um, but, you know, he's got the Cyclones going. As weird as it is to hear it coming from my mouth, they're a team that I would have absolutely no shock seeing they're playing opposite Oklahoma. You know, they've got they've got all the parts in place to do it. They're familiar with the coaching staff now. We've seen this steady progress from this team over the past couple of years, and it just feels like it's been building to this point. And as you said, with so much sort of swirl in that group of second-tier contenders behind the Sooners, it feels like this could be Iowa State's year. I, I don't know how you're feeling on that, but I'm really high on their chances. Totally on board. Totally on board the Iowa State hype train. Um, even despite the fact that replacing two of the best skill position players in school history and David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler isn't an easy task by any means. No. But the Cyclones, look at just how different of a team they were last season after they switched to Brock Purdy at quarterback. They yeah. started the season 1-3, and three, insert Purdy, and they finished 7-2 and two down the stretch and were really right there um, in contention for the Big 12 championship. I mean, one game... One of their games swings their favor. Uh, they kind of they played pretty poorly against Texas on the road, but if they could have pulled that game out, they would have been playing Oklahoma for the Big Twelve championship. Um, and not to mention, you know, that they've been competitive with Oklahoma the last few years too. So another team with Matt Campbell and his team's always competitive defensively, a lot like Gary Patterson, very similar um, philosophies in that regard they were the second best defense in the big 12 last year um and kind of on the contrary they return a lot more of their guys than tcu does i don't have how much returning production they have overall but i know they return most of their front seven i think um five of their seven guys on the front seven including uh defensive end jaquan bailey who might be the best defensive player in the entire conference uh linebacker marcel spears who's an all uh an all an honorable mention, all Big 12 guy the last couple of years, probably will be an all Big 12 performer this year. Ton of talent on that side of the ball. Um, if they can kind of figure it out on the ground, uh, you know, they don't have anybody 
running back wise who rushed for more than 200 yards on the roster this year from last year with Montgomery gone. He was the bell cow, but Purdy's a dual threat guy. He's going to take some of the pressure off with his ability to make plays with his legs and to throw the football. So if he can take that next step as a sophomore and they can get some production um, from a guy like Kanaden Wagu or um, Brees Hall or whoever it is at running back, and find a, a go-to receiver as well because he can't lean on Hakeem Butler anymore. Um, and then Montgomery was obviously a threat as a receiver as well. Um, so they've certainly got some challenges in that regard, but there's a lot of talent in Ames, a lot more talent than we're used to seeing in Ames. Uh, Matt Campbell has certainly changed the narrative there, um, and I, I agree with you. I think the Cyclones have a really good shot at being one of the two participants in the Big 12 championship game. Well, I think the thing to really keep in mind is, like, even losing a guy like Montgomery, he was a three-star recruit coming in. It's not like he was a highly touted guy who was, you know, on everybody's radar and was a must-have for so many teams. And it wasn't like Iowa State swooped in and stole a top prospect. You know, he was really molded in Campbell's system. And so if he can replicate that with running backs, we've seen schools develop that reputation for being able to take guys and turn them into top shelf running backs. So I I think that's, what's really going to be fun to see this year is who can, you know, can he, can he get the next man up really in place and, and, you know, running at top, you know, at top production. Um, But yeah, I really like their chances. And honestly, um, Compared to a team like Texas, I might I, I might like their chances more. Um, you know, we 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 see obviously coming into the season, Texas is most likely going to get the hype. We haven't seen um, the official polls come out yet. Um, in the Big Twelve media poll, they were obviously ranked second, right behind the Sooners. They got eight out of the thirty-seven first place votes in that poll. The Sooners took all of the other 29. Um, but, you know, people have been really high on the long Hearns this season. And Tom Herman's done a great job with that program. I love Tom Herman as a coach. I, I think he's been a great fit there in Austin. Um, obviously, with Sam Ellinger there at quarterback, they've got the tools in place to um, be competitive you know, and really even see another leap in development on their offense. But at the same time, Texas is one of those teams that I think is going to come into the season a little bit too hyped. They might be a little bit, uh, you know, tight coming into the season just because of the expectations that are going to be on them. And that's really the big question mark for me there. I don't know how you feel about the Longhorns and, and if they're, you know, what red flags pop up for you, John. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the kind of advanced statistics and stuff like that that you and I always like to dig into, Texas massively overachieved last year at 10 wins. They were, if you look at S&P Plus and even Segarin, they were ranked a lot lower than they ultimately finished in the human polls. Um And, you know, you can say what you will about advanced stats and Texas fans can all say, well, scoreboard, you know, they still won 10 games, but there still was some holes on that roster last year, Uh, particularly in the secondary. They really struggled. Uh, They didn't produce a lot of explosive plays last year. 
either offensively. They've got some talent returning. Sam Ellinger's one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12, not the whole country. So having that stability at quarterback and finally figuring out that position after kind of wandering the wilderness for years after Colt McCoy um, is huge for Tom Herman. He's got that position solidified as long as he stays healthy. Um, but they've got a lot to replace, too. They've got two returning starters on defense. They are very young, very talented, because mm-hmm. Lauder has done really well in the recruiting trail. Very, very talented, but very green. Yep. And in a league like the Big 12 that has so many really good offenses that can put up points in so many bunches like they do, it's going to be difficult, and there's going to be growing pains. They're going to give up. They're going to bust some coverages. They're going to give up some points, and it might happen in some inopportune moments. Uh, and it'll be the onus will be on Ellinger to kind of dig them out of the hole, and they'll have to do so, you know, without a guy like little Jordan Humphrey at receiver, um, who was their top guy last year. It's going to be tough to replace. They got some talent at running back. Keontae Ingram's really good. Even at receiver, Colin Johnson coming back was a big. Uh, returning guy for them, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I think, I think they're going to be a little overhyped. I, and you could see it coming right after they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl last year. All the the chance of Texas is back. The hype train was already pulling out of the station for 2019, uh, and it's long gone now. We can't catch it, no matter what we say on this podcast. That the train has long lost our sights. We're never going to run it down. Texas is going to be a top 15, if not top 10 preseason team, probably closer to top 10 preseason team. I think that's foolish. Um, And I think I wouldn't be surprised, Zach, if week two, when LSU comes to Austin, if Texas gets exposed early in the season. Yeah, that's, you know, we've talked a little bit with other teams about what their litmus test game is. And that's definitely the visit from the Bayou Bengals this year. Um, if if LSU um, demolishes Texas in that game, it, it, in Austin nonetheless, it, it's just going to right. deflate the entire thing. Um, of course, if Texas, you know, you know, flip that narrative around, if Texas, you know, takes care of business against LSU and makes the Tigers look silly. Uh, we're going to hear a lot more about the Longhorns and, um, you know, they're going to vault. Yes. Up. The hype train will leave the stratosphere at that point. They're going to vault up to a top five team. If they knock off LSU in week two, that's just how it's going to end up. Um, you know, after having, ha- having been the guy to, to, uh, you know, masochistically project the top 25 rankings every week for the website for the past couple years, um, and you definitely got a taste of that last year when you got to cover it for a week for me. Um, it's really interesting trying to put yourself into the heads of the pollsters themselves. And there are just so many across the country that see a team like Texas have any modicum of success and just immediately want to vault them up. And we obviously right. see see that with, you know, different programs get that treatment, obviously, um, there are just certain powerhouses where that name is evocative. It's, you know, even for people who are supposed to be the most sober assessors of the game, I can't say that I'm completely innocent of that myself. And, uh, you know, as much as you try to put it into the pollsters context, I've 
definitely imagine that they were going to vault teams up higher than they do. So I'm hoping that I'm wrong about it again this year and that they don't overrate this team because it's a good team and they're going to be a fun team to watch this year. Obviously, you know, like you said, the defense, a lot of question marks in terms of, you know, starters, but there are players with playing experience there who are going to be cycling into to, you know, bigger roles for them. It's not like you've got just a bunch of freshmen all suddenly taking the field. And so it really comes down to how Herman's been developing, you know, everything around uh, both sides of the ball over the past couple of years, because in terms of returning production, returning starters, they are one of the bottom 10 teams in the country. And so that really gives me a lot of pause when you're looking at the hype that's going to happen. That's the one thing that really makes me sort of want to put on the brakes and tamp it back a bit and is consequently also a reason why I'm looking at a team like Iowa State and saying this is their opportunity to come in and nip at the heels of, you know, the more established, more powerhouse school and and take their moment. Um, Yeah. If you look at Texas as too deep, they look like a team that's a year away. Yeah. And I think they really overachieved and broke through this year. And I do think Herman's got them on the right track. And I don't think we're far from Texas really being Texas again and being perennial contenders, not just in the Big 12, but on the national stage. But I still think they're a year away from it. I think they might take a small step backward before they take a big jump forward. I I could definitely see that. I'm... They're certainly not the team I would put in the title game, uh, just to sort of foreshadow what's going to be coming up in the next segment. Um, but but with that said, one team that's definitely going to be there, and I think if they weren't, it would be one of the surprises of the entire 2019 college football season, is Oklahoma. Um, you know, they're a team that's almost certainly going to be ranked in the top five coming into the season. They're a team that the media almost exclusively picked to be the top team in the Big 12 this year. Um, the odds makers have them as a minus 125 bet. So, um, you know, like all, all signs point to a perennial college football playoff contender having another shot at getting there. And, you know... A guy who you're quite familiar with in Jalen Hurts is a big reason why they're they're looking at this team, odds makers, pollsters, everybody else, and thinking the tools are there in place for Lincoln Riley to work some more quarterback magic with another transfer. Yeah, count me completely on board for Jalen Hurts' revenge tour 2019. Um tickets uh sold separately from the podcast uh i am firmly on his bandwagon i always will be love jalen hurts as a player a person as a competitor i think he's a perfect fit for lincoln Riley's offense he might not have the same passing acumen as baker mayfield and kyler murray but let's be fair those are back-to-back heisman winners back-to-back number one overall picks in the draft it's not a negative on Hurts to say he might be a slight step down as a passer than two of the most efficient passers in the history of college football, right? That's not a real negative knock. But what really excites me about what Lincoln Riley can do with that offense is just imagining what Oklahoma's running game could look like next year 
with Jalen Hurts, with his ability as a dual threat, but also with a guy in Kennedy Brooks who had over 1,000 yards as a rusher last year and Trey Sermon who was just shy of it. Yep. Oklahoma was a devastating rushing offense last year. Um, they finished 11th in the country. They had the number one total offense in the country. you got to figure, though their offense might look a little different because maybe Hurts doesn't have the same Kyler Murray-like ability to throw the football, he can throw it well. Yeah. They're going to run all over teams in the Big 12. They're going to have a devastating rushing attack with that three-headed monster in the backfield. And then he's got a guy, a couple guys uh, to throw to. C.D. Lamb's probably the best receiver in the conference, one of the best in the entire country, a guy who's got real opportunity to compete for a Bolitnikoff, in my opinion. Um, and then Grant Calcaterra at tight ends, one of the better tight ends in the country, who kind of provides that safety valve for Hurts as well. What really interests me, though, with the Sooners, obviously the Jalen Hurts has been the full focal point of all the narratives and stuff this offseason. What really fascinates me is how they do defensively, if they can take that step forward. Because what's holding Oklahoma back from being a Big 12 champion and then getting to an actual national championship is defense. Their defense has to be better if they want to go from just simply being happy with being in the playoff to really competing with the likes of Clemson and with the likes of Alabama and competing for the actual and winning a national championship. They were 114th overall in total defense last year. You're not winning a national championship with a defense that's that bad. One of the more fascinating hires of this offseason was them poaching Alex Grinch from Ohio State. Yeah. He's an up-and-coming young defensive mind. A lot of really reputable coaches have been high on him. Obviously, Urban Meyer was bringing him there. And they've got nine returning starters defensively. they got a guy in Kenneth Murray at linebacker who's one of the best overall defensive players in the country. So if they can take that move from more to more respectable, even if more respectable, Zach, means top 75 defense, I think they're a legitimate national championship contender. But I think it will take that um, step forward defensively if the Sooners really want to. And I'm on board with you. I do think they are easily the Big 12 favorite. They're my pick, not to spoil the next segment. I'll be picking them to win the Big 12 overall. I think that if their defense can take that step, if Grinch can kind of figure things out on that side of the ball, Oklahoma really could compete uh, for a national title this year. I I agree. I think Grinch is one of those, uh, as you said, more fascinating hires of the offseason. Uh, he really does have a chance to elevate the Sooners to another level when they don't have the football. And then, you know, as you mentioned with the Sooners offense, they will be more of a running team. But the way I, of course, you said Hertz knows how to throw the football. We've definitely seen him make throws before. It's not like they're coming in and getting a guy who's a triple option guy who's thrown the football three times a game. But what what I see this offense kind of looking like this year is I could really see them like Oregon in 2007 when you had Dennis Dixon operating in the backfield with uh, Jonathan Stewart and Jeremiah Johnson there. And, you know, having those two really great running backs and then a quarterback who really has the experience and knows how to to read a field, read a defense, do what needs to be done, and can do it with his own legs as well. I I, I really is that a what's that is that a tear in your eye reminiscing on the 07 Ducks? A little bit, yeah. No, yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> and it's interesting, yeah, to think about 
Oklahoma being a team that could look like them, because that's definitely not traditional Oklahoma football in any way that we've we've seen it in the recent past is, you know, from the Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley era. But I think it definitely fits in with the the longer history of Sooners football, for sure, seeing them go back to more of that, you know, intricate running game. I think it, it could be really fun to see them kind of take on that throwback identity and then just put it over the top on teams when, when they're keying up too much for the run. Right, and Lincoln Riley is one of the most creative offensive coaches in the country, so you know he's going to figure some stuff out with his personnel and make things um, better. I mean, just look at looking at their offense the last two years. They were a different team with Kyler Murray running the show last year. They focused more on kind of a read option game that you didn't see as much with Baker Mayfield. They really yeah. wanted to throw the ball down the field at all times because Mayfield was just so lethal. Obviously, Murray was as well, but you're also talking about a guy who was just – unbelievable with his legs he was a thousand yard rusher himself last year so it's really fascinating I'm really interested to see what Lincoln Riley is able to do with that offense I don't know if I'd go as far to predict a third straight Heisman with Jalen Hurts but that would be one hell of a story if that turned out to be the case well you know in bringing up that Oregon case before Dixon went down with his season-ending injury he was the Heisman favorite there so it can definitely happen with that type of football as well Sure. He won't look like the last two Oklahoma Heisman winners, but he could certainly be in that mix. I, I would put him in. Yeah, a, I mean, yeah, he could easily be a thousand yard rusher and throw for three thousand to thirty five hundred yards and end up with 40 plus touchdowns. I mean, that's probably especially if Oklahoma is a playoff team, that's probably getting you an invite to New York. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we're in agreement to give you that quick spoiler, we're we're both high on Oklahoma in terms of their Big 12 future. Uh, so uh, with that teaser in mind, we'll be back with the rest of our Big 12 standing projections and uh, some players of the year after our final break here. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break, everybody. We're here with our final Big 12 segment uh, of this week's Saturday Blitz podcast. Before the break, we both said that we're looking at Oklahoma to be one of those two teams in the Big 12 title game as the regular season champion. Who are your next three teams in a row, John? Uh, so I've got Oklahoma, number one. Um, I I think we're going to be in agreement, at least on number two, because I also really like Iowa State. Uh, I've got the Cyclones, um, been high on them. Uh, all off season, really, and I've seen nothing that really changes that. So I think it's going to be Oklahoma, Iowa State, uh, ultimately playing for the Big 12 title with Oklahoma coming out on top. Uh, and then three, I've got Texas. I still think they're going to be, even if they take a little bit of a step back, I still think they're going to be really right there pushing for it um, to play for the championship. And then four, I, I've kind of waft back and forth on. Um, man, Put me on the spot at the moment, and I probably say Oklahoma State, but I think Oklahoma State, Baylor, TCU, and even Kansas State, in some order, are probably that next tier. But I really think number two is even wide open. I mean, I think we both agree with that. Both of us coming, uh, I presumably with Iowa State, really shows that we both really feel like this race is really wide open behind the Sooners. Yeah, the fact that we're calling for the Cyclones to be there in that game against the Sooners. 
um, just shows how how crazy a season this could be for the 150th anniversary. And uh, what is this, the 24th season of Big 12 play in that mix? So conferences looked at being there for one-sixth of the entire history of football at this point. Uh, kind of feels weird to, to think about. Um, especially since it is such a new conference in terms of the Power Five. Um, but yeah, so Oklahoma, obviously number one. Um, I'm right there with you. Iowa State, just the pieces are there in place, and Matt Campbell and his crew have done such a great job that I think this is their year to finally get over that hurdle and have their one shot, especially with Purdy there at the helm in, on, uh, at quarterback. Um, number three, you know, obviously Texas feels like the safest pick to sort of slot in there. Um, but the, you know, we talked about it last segment and I'm kind of looking at like, uh, I'm looking at Baylor. I'm looking at Charlie Brewer. I'm thinking, you know, they've obviously got the, the, the non-conference schedule to get themselves warmed right up into it. And, um... I, I think that the Baylor-Texas game is going to really decide which one takes number three and which one takes number four. Um, so I, I'm going to say Baylor and then Texas for three and four. And then rounding out the top five, um, I, I think Oklahoma State, then TCU, then probably Kansas State. And I think those seven are going to be your teams that get to bowl games this year. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I It wouldn't surprise me if you have to get into some funky tiebreakers to decide the team playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship because it wouldn't surprise me if you're looking at four or five teams who were tied at five and four or something like that in conference at the end of the year that are – you know, we're coming down to which team played the most games in the rain or something yeah. like that, <laughs> whatever the Big 12 well, tiebreaker rule number 26 is uh, to really determine who ends up playing in the title game. One, it's really interesting, too, for a, a conference that plays a regular season round robin. You know, some of these teams get five games at home, some of them get four. So even if you went down to like a home versus road tiebreaker, how do you break it down in that instance for teams that got one more game on the road than the others? Um, also, a, a round robin schedule defeats the entire purpose of having a, a championship game, but you know, whatever there, especially if you're talking about an Oklahoma team that ends up finishing eight and one or something like that in the big 12, having to play an extra game and play a five and four, a six and three Texas or Iowa state for the big 12 title, a team they probably would have already beaten in the regular season. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, honestly, I'd be shocked if Oklahoma even has a one in their conference record this season. Um, that's not to say that they won't make it through the year completely unblemished. Uh, but uh, I definitely think in terms of conference play, it's really hard to look at a team. It, it's going to take Oklahoma playing down for Oklahoma to lose a Big 12 game this season. That's the nightmare scenario for the Big 12, though, you got to think is Oklahoma runs the table in the regular season, looks like a shoe-in for the playoff, and then falls to Iowa State or something like that in the yeah. Big 12 title game. I wonder if that force makes the Big 12 reevaluate what they're doing. 
yeah, definitely. Because it, it, it could very well be something where you see them, you know, whether it's 12-0 and 0 or 11-1 and 1 or whatnot. Uh, a one-loss Oklahoma team is always going to be in the discussion for a college football playoff spot. Um, but only if they win the Big 12 title. It's not like the SEC where you can be a really highly ranked 11-1 team and get that nod. Um, it, it, it just not going to work that way, especially when you're playing in a 10 team league, uh, with with Oklahoma this year though, like you look at their non-conference schedule and it would I mean, they play Houston. We've seen Houston surprise them in the past. Dana Holgerson is familiar with that team. So maybe he pulls off a weird surprise and, um, you know, all of what we're talking about with Oklahoma right now is completely moot before we even hit, uh, you know, the second week of the season. I'd be really shocked if that happened, obviously, but it, it it's happened before with this Oklahoma, with, with Oklahoma. Um, also, we talked about UCLA a little bit in previous weeks as one of those teams that could be, you know, a pleasant surprise, but... Um, I'd be shocked again if Oklahoma loses even going to Pasadena to play at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and the thing, Oklahoma needs both of those teams to perform well after their games with them, right? They need UCLA to be a 7-8 win team at least, so that non-conference schedule looks a little bit better at the end of the year, especially if they have a loss and they're competing against a bunch of other one-loss teams for inclusion in the playoff. Exactly. They need Dana Holgerson to turn around Houston and have them pushing Memphis for the the American West. And they need, uh, you know, they need everything to fall in place around, around that with their opponents. Um, obviously, UCLA winning the, the Pac-12 South is probably a stretch this season. We'll obviously talk about that more in the you know, one of the coming weeks, but it, it, it's not like they have a, a murderous gross schedule where, where, you know, like a couple of years ago where they had the, you know, those, those really classic duels against Ohio state back to back, you know, those, right. those games were, were litmus tests for both teams in successive years. And winning that game was really what turned the committee in their favor in both those cases. Uh, you know, right. first with the Buckeyes and then with the Sooners. And that's really what started the trend of Oklahoma being in the the college football playoff. So I, I think it's really um, going to be interesting in, in the, you know, upcoming season to see um, just can Oklahoma maintain their high standard all throughout this season? Because I think that's really going to determine – whether the Big 12 does land one of those spots in the college football playoff. If Oklahoma does slip up a second time, even even winning the Big 12 championship game, I don't think a two-loss Big 12 champion is necessarily going to be getting into the playoff. No, I don't think so either. Not with some of the other teams um, out there with, the, with what will be higher strength of schedules and stuff like that. Because I think... I think the conference is going to beat up on itself a lot this year outside of Oklahoma. Yeah, it would take 2007 levels of chaos for something like that to happen. 
Fingers crossed. I'm all for it, obviously, but I, <laughs> I, I just don't see that. I see the chaos behind Oklahoma in this conference, as we've talked about, rather than with Oklahoma themselves. You know, there yeah, are they seem to be chaos safe. Yeah, they 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 have much fewer question marks than any of these other teams, and and things really just line up for them having their path to contention again. So yeah, uh, I know, agree. You know, I I, I, I yeah. We're in agreement. Oklahoma, until further notice, is the team to beat in this league. They're almost certainly going to be there in the title game, and they're probably walking away with the victory. On that note, let's look at players quick. Who do you think is going to be the offensive player of the year in this league, John? I think it's going to be Jalen Hurts. I I think Jalen Hurts... Um, is the offensive player of the year in the Big 12. I think he has, like I said, I think he has over 1,000 yards on the ground. I think he throws for 3,000-plus yards, and I think he's a Heisman finalist as well. I, I, I think it's the safest bet. It's the first one that came to mind for me, and I think if if it's not Hurts, it's probably Brock Purdy. I think he's the other one that really pops immediately to mind as the guy who has the potential to do it. Obviously, at Texas, it, you know, if Sam Ellinger leads them to the Big 12 championship game, he's right there as well. But I, I, I think it's Hurts' award to lose, even never having taken a snap in Big 12 play before. Um, just with the pedigree he comes in with uh, from his years in Tuscaloosa, he, he's too experienced not to be able to hit the ground running with them. Yeah. So yeah, I I I I would say it, it's probably hurts. Obviously, if he gets to into the Heisman discussion, it's obviously hurts. I'm going to put Purdy there as my one B because I think you also have the discussion that if Iowa State actually finally gets to a Big Twelve championship game, you can look at a player elevating a team to that point. You know, we've seen Oklahoma right. do it with transfer, and then another transfer, and if they do it with a third transfer quarterback, it's going to be impressive. But he's going to have to put up just massive numbers to sort of match up against the guys that came before him, versus you know Brock Purdy doing it at a school that has a long history of not being good at this sport. But, you know, let's face it, they have those rare bursts throughout their history when you look at just a season-by-season record. You know, they have those seasons, they have those bursts among among the, the troughs, but most of it is valleys and you have very few peaks. Right. So if Brock... Yeah, if, and then... Yeah. Yeah, if we're flipping to to defense, Zach, who you who are you looking at as the defensive player of the year in the Big Twelve? You know, speaking of Iowa State, I really like Jaquan Bailey, the defensive end there for the Cyclones. I think he's one of those players where, you know, he's shown steady improvement the past couple years, uh, and. Um, you know, he had eight sacks last season, 14 and a half tackles for loss. And he's, you know, been a two-year starter there. He played 10 games as a freshman. And he's just continued to get better and better 
And I think with this last year of eligibility, he's really going to set himself up for a great draft position. Yeah, I I was kind of going back and forth between two Iowa State players, to be honest. Jaquan Bailey is a great pick, I think. Um, he's one of the guys I would definitely could definitely see doing it. But I also like Marcel Spears Jr. Um, oh, totally. at Iowa State as well at linebacker. I think that you're talking about a guy who could end up finishing with triple-digit tackles and maybe being kind of the heart and soul of what's probably going to be the best defense in the Big 12 next year. So I think Spears is my pick for Defensive Player of the Year. I also really am fascinated to see what Kenneth Murray, his growth at Oklahoma under Alex Grinch's guidance on defense, if the Sooners are able to take that next step forward defensively and really get into more respectability across the country, it'll be with Murray kind of leading the charge. But I'll take Marcel Spears. Cool. I I think that's a great pick. And one other player I really am just fascinated to see how he develops going into his junior year is um, uh, James Lynch at Baylor, the defensive tackle there for Baylor. Um, you know, he, he really sort of took an evolutionary step last year as a sophomore. And I think, you know, having picked Baylor to go third in the conference, I think that he's going to be a really big catalyst for the defense, putting them in position to do so. Yeah, it's a good mention. I also wanted to mention as a dark horse potential candidate, Caden Stearns. Uh, sophomore safety out of Texas kind of broke onto the scene as a true freshman last year and was really impressive. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised if he had a really big year two in Austin um, and made some plays that really put him on the radar as well. I I like that mention also. Um, So yeah, I I think that really sets up well um, for looking at the big 12 Oklahoma, the team to beat. You know, we've got a couple of quarterbacks who are probably the favorites in in that offensive player of the year race. And, you know, with how we're both high on the Cyclones, I think the the defensive player is going to come down to a couple of those guys that we're looking at. Um, And I think, uh, so let me ask you one final question before we sign off. Obviously, if Oklahoma wins this league and they end up with a, uh, you know, one zero losses or one loss, they're probably in the playoff. Um, if they don't win it, do you think any other team in this league this year has any shot at getting into the playoff field? I really don't. Uh, just looking, I think it's Oklahoma or bust for the Big 12 this year in terms of their playoff hopes. I think if someone else wins the conference, it'll be in like an upset in the Big 12 championship game where you have a three-loss team like a Texas or an Iowa State or something like that, upsetting the Sooners and getting the you know auto bid to the New Year's Six. But I don't think there's – there doesn't appear to be anybody on the horizon. I can't imagine – I like Iowa State a lot, and I think you like Iowa State or not, but I don't think either of us likes the Cyclones enough to think they're legit playoff contenders. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think it would really take them – so as much as Oklahoma is pretty much definitely in if they're a 12 and one big 12 champion, I think Iowa State, you have a few more question marks there, especially because, well, pollsters are going to be reticent to put them up there. I think even the selection committee, as we've seen, um, for as much as we talk about objectivity, when you put 12 people into a room, 
you come to a subjective decision. That's just the way it works. Like let's 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 not mince words here. Um, because subjectivity is not necessarily a bad thing. It's what we've been yammering about for the past hour plus here is a bunch of subjective business. That's what college football is all about are the subjectivities. And so that is what it is. I think the only other team that would obviously have a shot is Texas if they were to run the table because they're going to start so high in the polls and they're going to be there as one of those like teams that are right at the forefront of the consciousness of the selection committee if they do get to that that point when that first, you know, playoff poll is released. Yeah, and they've got the benefit of a non-conference game against LSU if they're able to pull that off at all forever be etched in the minds of the committee all season long as one of the best out-of-conference wins in the country. So if they're able to pull that off, even if they drop a game in the Big 12, they ultimately win the Big 12 as a one-loss team. I think Texas definitely would have a shot. I just don't see it uh, in terms of them even being a one-loss team. I think they're going to lose three games or three or four games even this year. Uh, So I don't – I think it's Oklahoma or a bust still for the Big 12 if if it's not the Sooners, and I think they'll be – the whole conference will be left out in the cold. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said earlier in this segment, I think Baylor's going to finish above Texas. So, you know, I really just wanted to throw that out there as this is really the only other roadmap for a team to get into it this year. And I think – you know, we talked about it with the group of five a bit. I think the Big 12 is another one where behind Oklahoma, everybody's going to cannibalize each other to the point where the Big 12, like you said, is sooner or bust. In the Big 12, regardless, is going to be exciting because you have so many teams right behind them that will be fighting for the opportunity to lose to Lincoln Riley's squad. Yeah, there's a lot of parity behind Oklahoma. It'll be a really fascinating race for number two this year. Undoubtedly. Well, that closes out our Big 12 preview for uh, the 2019 season, everybody. We'll be coming back at you next week with a preview of the Pac-12. So be sure to tune in next Wednesday morning when we release the next issue of the Saturday Blitz podcast. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week.